Hello, this is Caroline Monroe here, a stellar star from Star Crash, and I'm speaking to the Effectively Speaking podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. Take care. Bye. Here they come. Hello, and welcome to episode 57 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Andrew Glazebrook to discuss the opening of Star Crash, from the spaceship going overhead to Stella boarding the escape shuttle. They're requesting communication, sir. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Happy New Year. It is, isn't it? It's a very happy new year because this is our very first recording yeah. of 2018 and yeah. uh, what a film to uh, kick off 2018 with. <laughs> Start as you mean to go on with the best. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I've got that song, The Only Way Is Up, in my head now. All right, okay. <laughs> okay. All right, so uh, how far back do you and Stella Star go then? Um, I used to have, we had a neighbor, uh, and he worked in the video shop, uh, not far from where we lived. And I remember me and my brother went around one day to see him about something. And I was sort of, my brother was talking to him. I was just looking at the videos in the window. And I remember saying to him, uh, oh, what's that film there? That, that Star Crash one. And he said, uh, I said, it's, it's excellent. I said, it's, he said, it's probably just as good as Star Wars. <laughs> so he said, you can take it if you want. So I said, oh, okay, yeah, great. So I took it and I watched it, I think, the following day. And I thought, what what, what was he on? Was he on something? And I kind of, it was one of those movies I sort of hated in one, in one way, but kind of loved it in another. And I think it was a couple of weeks later, I sort of said to him again, I said, oh, uh, Nigel, do you, do you mind getting us that film again? That Star Crash wouldn't mind watching it again. Uh, and he got it again, and then after that, you know, I kind of really, really grew to like it. But the the local video shop I used to actually go in didn't ever there, never had it. But this was a different shop, and uh, I'm just trying to think what year it would have been. I think it was the Vipco release, right? Uh, and Star Crash is just one of those films that's had so many different sleeve artworks. But I always remember the, the Vipco one was kind of painted, but a little bit less fanciful than some of the other ones, which were very sort of Rosetta. This was a little bit more. It looked like who they were meant to be. Mm. Uh, character-wise. It's funny that you should mention what that. Your, because, what was your introduction to it? Well, I, I I was trying to think of it, but I'm. it must have been Starburst or Starlog. I'm, I'm sure I, yeah. I, I saw photos of it long before I saw it, you know, long before the video era. I'm not like you. Um, um, I, have you noticed, by the way, how many of the episodes that you do for this show, your anecdote always starts with a videotape? <laughs> yeah, I think that that's kind of a standard thing with me, though. I think you know, there's nearly always this. This is actually the only time I think it's been a different shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear there's a bit of, been a bit of diversity, and you were you know providing trade to more than one shop at the yeah. time. I was getting it for free anyway, so I wasn't really well, providing. <laughs> right, that, that's right. No, I mean, yeah, 
I'm sure it was Starburst or something like that. And, you know, back then I was a teenager and anything that was science fiction, you know, caught my eye. And, and this one caught my eye because it looked like Star Wars from the photos and it had Caroline Munro in it. Yeah. Now, I was still quite young at the time, but I, I had a bit of a crush on her already because I'd seen Golden Voyage of Sinbad at the cinema. Um, mm. I'd seen at the, at the Earth's core in the cinema um, I recognised her in The Spy Who Loved Me. Um, yeah. And even though, you know, by this is 1970, uh, 1978, I hadn't seen Dracula AD 72 and I hadn't seen Captain Kronos, but I did have, you know, the House of Hammer magazine. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's rife with photos. So, um, yeah, it was it was definitely on my radar. I was just trying to sort of recall what year this would be because... You know, video came into the sort of form more in the late 70s, didn't it, really? Around mm. about sort of 79, 80. Well, I know so we didn't it, get ours until about 84. I mean, it re didn't really take off big time until like the early 80s, was it? Yeah, uh, it, it probably will have been the early 80s in that case, because I think me, me brother, um, he... He hired a VHS player. Uh, I know a friend had one, but then he hired one when he first got his first job. Um, he, he hired one then, and that's when we started like getting movies out. Uh, so it probably would have been. I think yeah, it was DER. I think he went with one of these rental companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were always those big top loaders, weren't they? I think, funnily enough, I think it was a front loader he had. So it, you know, that was probably because the top loaders came first, probably late seventies. So this could have been like eighty. 81 right possibly because i think it was a front loader that we had if i remember rightly but the top loaders yeah they were beasts weren't they yeah and the remote control was attached to the video recorder by a cable so you sat in your chair and you had this bloody yeah. great cable going across yeah. the living room to the recorder yeah and the button the buttons were right clunky as well you know like proper kind of mechanical buttons as in you when you push them down there was almost like a, a click it went clunk, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I, I'm like you, you know, there was just something about it, even though I knew, you know, it it, it was awfully cheesy and you yeah. know, che cheesily awful as well, and it was cheap, and it's just got an awful meandering plot. You know, it's got a terrible script. It's got terrible yeah. acting. It's got terrible <laughs> dubbing. It's got terrible special effect. Uh, but it's yeah. a very guilty pleasure, and and to this day, it's the only thing that I own with uh, David Hasselhoff in it. Yeah, I always sort of say to people when it gets down to certain scenes, I said it feels like the editor sort of cut the bits of film, dropped them into a bin, and then literally pulled them out <laughs> in a random order sometimes because some of the battle sequences are so chaotic in terms of the editing um, and the dialogue. Um, you know that. It really does make you wonder whether there was any kind of plan when they were putting it together, yeah. um, and and there's just there's just lines of dialogue that make no sense whatsoever. It's not. I mean, we're going to be talking about a couple of classic examples of it in this sequence, but there are that mm. there are some lines of dialogue where the delivery is just totally. Un, un, it's just not in the right context whatsoever <laughs> to yeah. what it is meant, meant to be happening. The delivery of some of these lines is like, what the heck is this? Yeah. It's the, the, the one bit that always amused me was the jump to hyperspace because... Uh, That's what I, I was thinking of. 
he starts sort of telling you about what the uh, potential is for not making it through, and it ends up being sort of literally about one and a half percent chance of not. You know, you think well, you wouldn't jump the hyperspace if they were the odds, and you wouldn't you be know. grinning, grinning as you do it either, would you? Yeah, yeah. It's just it. It is like a, a comic book. Uh, everything's just really out there, and yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy, um, and as I say, it's a guilty pleasure. Um, I, I, I like cheap, you know, you know, trashy films, you know, yeah. and, and it, in the late 70s, early 80s, there were an awful lot of, you know, fantasy films that were made that were incredibly low budget, and they, they, they're endearing, I think that's the word, even though you know that they're awful, for many, many reasons, they have a bit of a charm to them, because they are yeah. so awful, you know, if it, it, it if... If anything, I think it actually helps the film that they are so awful because you're kinder to it because it's not try- it's not trying to be anything. Well, it is. They they they, they were deliberately trying to make a Star Wars style mm. film, but their you know their ambition far outstripped anything else that they had around them. I think that's for me why Star Crash sort of out the uh, the other sort of sci-fi film at the time the humanoid I think that's why you prefer Star Crash because it is very sort of pulp Barbarella type situations where the humanoid was a little bit more Star Wars and it just didn't have the humour you know it was kind it's one of those films that's kind of tacky and it is tacky in a lot of ways which you think that isn't that isn't like a, a bonus in a way it is just genuinely quite naff um, in uh, the humanoid, but I think Star Crash kind of pulls all that back because of the, the sort of the, the brightness and just everything that's going on, and the silliness. Um, it is yeah. a very silly film, isn't it? Yeah, and fun, funny enough, for the humanoid is just one of these films I've never ever seen in this country on DVD. Um, I, I, I've yet to see it again. I, I know it very well from the photos yeah. and the feature that they had in Starburst. You know, you had Richard Kill mm. and Barbara back. You know, and all yeah. these fantastic photos and the Darth Vader villain who definitely was Darth Vader. Um, but no, I, I I've never seen it. All oh, right, it had a VHS release, The Humanoid, and uh, I seen it on a double bill with Golden Voyager Sinbad. Funnily enough, at the audience, really? yeah. Um, that must have been 79 um, and I've seen it on VHS and I think there's a version up on YouTube but it's never been on DVD and certainly not Blu-ray and, and it was like um, I'm trying to think what company released it but you think wonder what it might be a rights issue possibly I don't know what with um, but you know it's, it's just one of those films that's fell by the wayside and you think some cult company uh, Scream Factory, you know, one of those type of companies, or Arrow would have picked it up, uh, mm. but it's just not out there, and you know, I suppose it, it it might be a case if they can't find the original negative, you know, if they can't find the negative, then maybe he's only got like a VHS transfer to work from, and they were not going to release that mm. Uh, mm. but I've, I've never even seen like a foreign version of that available, I don't think on Amazon on and you're uh, right, no, nobody, nobody really mentions it, do they? No, no, and yet it has got Barbara Back and Richard Keele, and yeah. you know, the, the, there's a couple of other people like Arthur Kennedy, who's like a known actor, and um, I think Morricone possibly did the music for it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, back to Star Crash. Back to Star Crash. Now, now, everybody talks about Star Crash, and they say it's a Star Wars ripoff, but, you mm. know, the director, you know, Luigi Cosi, he said that he had the idea and had written it long before Star Wars came out, but, oh, come on. 
Yeah. I, I, I don't think so, do you? Well, if he, if he did, it was certainly re, re sort of scripted, rejigged when Star Wars came out. I mean, it does have a feeling of the Barbarella, um, mm. you know, oh, mainly nice, because definitely. of the, the costumes and some of the set design. But uh, I think Star Wars certainly changed its direction in terms of what it was, um, if that was the case. Well, St- Star Wars came out in America in May of 77 yeah uh they started principal photography on star crash in october of 77 um and that was the same month also that star wars came out in italy so okay he might not have seen star wars but you've got a few months there where you're seeing publicity and you're seeing you know features on the news or whatever you know about this big blockbuster film that's in america so uh, I'm. I don't know. I, I. I. It's a bit of a cheat to say. Oh. Oh. No. It's not Star Wars. Yeah, and certainly the opening shot we're going to talk about <laughs> is uh, dire- well, yeah, directly well, I, lifted. Well, I'm. I'm. I'm assuming um, the model work was done after the principal photography. So you know, and if they started principal photography the same month that Star Wars came out in Italy, by the time they did get round to the model work then yeah. maybe they would have had a chance to see it. Mm. Well, we'll talk about that in the uh, behind the scenes, because yes. there's All a bit right. of a mention in some of the magazines I've got about that. All right. So. Okay, having said that then, let's go into the clip. Plot us a new course so that cop can't find us. Even as you speak, it's been taken care of. There's the border of the haunted stars. Had we traveled one second further, we would have wound up right beside them. What in the universe is that? It's a spaceship. Before we begin, um, there's a bit of a discrepancy re the film's running time. Now, the last time I spoke to you, uh, off air after we had done it, I said that we're going to do Star Crash next, and you told me something that I didn't know, which is that the American version is shorter than the European version. Yeah, by, by about four, four and a half minutes. And mainly special effects, you see. Y- yeah, it's, it's, it's a very... It, it, from what I gather, uh, from when i ever seen the American version, it's just very weirdly chopped. You're thinking it's not like one whole sequence has been cut. It just seems like somebody, again, has just done a really bad job at just cutting little bits here and there that has made no sort of sense um it's not like they've tried to cut any corny dialogue because they'd be there all day um <laughs> you'd have no you'd, film yeah you'd have no film uh so it does make you wonder who, what the thought process was behind the editorial decisions to cut this four and a half minutes out um yeah. you know to, to, uh, how is that going to make it a better movie you know i think it was only running 90 uh, well Possibly to bring it under the 90 minute, maybe it was a TV thing. So if they have it under a certain time, they can show it on TV and... Or, or if it's 90 minutes or less, you can have a double bill. If both of them are 90 minutes or less, you you know, you can do a double bill easier that way. I don't know. Possibly, yeah. Um, uh, come on. Oh, no, I, I was waiting for you, Andrew. All right, sorry. I was going to say is, uh, yeah, the thing I've pulled people up uh, before about this uh, other version is uh, people assume Roger Corman produced this because of the the release, but it purely was a case of Corman just bought the distribution rights to release the film um, in the States. He had nothing to do with the production of it whatsoever. 
Mm. And one thing they did cut off, which is right at the beginning of the movie, is there's like an opening Star Wars type scroll, mm. which isn't on the American version, but on the European version. And uh, from what I remember about it, it actually scrolls so fast. It, it's scrolling up the screen, and it scrolls so fast that even as a fast reader, you start losing track of where you are. <laughs> um, it's it's like nobody read it as they were doing the graphic to see if people could keep up. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, I mean, it, it's, it, this is a bit of a puzzle, because when you said to me about that, oh, the American version is shorter, the European one's longer, I was quite smug about that, and then... I went and I checked my DVD of it, and my DVD running time is the same running time as the American version. Right. Okay. But my my version does have the scroll at the, at the beginning. Right. Okay. So it's a bit peculiar. So anyway, I was, I was a bit crestfallen about that because it's like, oh, bugger! I've you know I've got I've got the cut version. So I I went out and I got I did get the European version. I actually got the French version. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got that quite cheap off of e- eBay. So for this sequence that I'm going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about today, I actually watched it twice. Okay. I watched my original UK version that I'm used to, and then the yeah. European version. And as we go through this, I'll mention where there are some changes. Okay. Yeah. I've I've watched uh, the, the Roger Corman cuts actually just up on YouTube as a 720p. So I've I've sort of refreshed looking at that All this right. afternoon and. Uh, I've seen the other version recently anyway, so I, I do know what the differences are. All right, right. Well, let's get into this then, shall we? Let's yeah. uh, roll the camera. So, here we go. We start with a very, very, very bright star field, don't mm. we? Yeah. And it's it's weird, that kind of first shot of the star field on the European version is almost kind of like a track around the star field, like with an anamorphic lens, or feels like it. Um, it it's kind of a little bit kind of squeezed our thought. I don't know whether yes. that's just on, on the, the version um, I've got or what, but um, I can't remember whether it's like down the Roger Common version. But yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a track around, like a left to right track, I think. And it's a, like a track around some Christmas fairy lights, aren't they? The, the light, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the stars are bright red, bright blue and bright white. Oh yeah, there's, there's stars of all sorts of colours, but yeah, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that I liked about it when I first sort of seen it. I thought, oh wow, that's colourful, but it kind of worked in a way. In a, it's in a crazy, different, isn't it? Yeah, it's it, you know, it's just if it if it's just black and white, it's just space. But this adds like a bit of sort of comic book to it, a little bit of a, a fantasy vibe, doesn't it? You know, the fact that we've got coloured stars. You've mentioned it before, and, and, you know, I think we're going to mention it quite a few t- times in this sequence, but Barbarella clearly was an influence, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, this, is, th- this can only be a European science fiction film. This wouldn't mm. look like this if it was American. It wouldn't look like this if it was British. No, no, there's a definite sort of... I suppose it's a bit like that comic book artwork, isn't it? It's like the sort of stuff you see by people like Mobius as a definite style to European artwork and I think mm. it's a bit like that with their sci-fi mm. um, it, it's got its own little sort of look mm. um, but right so next we get the Star Wars shot don't we the one that everybody yeah, talks yeah. about uh, the overhead shot of the spaceship yeah um, it quite clearly <laughs> is aping Star Wars yeah uh, it 
it's an unusual shot because I don't know whether the camera's moving backwards or the model's moving forwards. Uh, and it's not actually a bad shot. It's, you know, there's no wires visible or poles or anything. It's No, I think, um, the, I, I think, I think it is being like, um, you, you don't see the wires because it's hung on wires and it's, you know, being drawn over the camera, which is looking upwards. But no, it's very good. There's no wobble. There's certainly no yeah, wobble yeah. to to the spaceship. But yeah. this th- 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 this thing, this th- this Star Wars shot, as we say what it is, I mean, the film came out almost exactly a year after Star Wars came out. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it made me think, is this one of the very first films to actually purposely, you know, recreate that shot. Cuz you Prob- say about probably, the, yeah. the humanoid um was the same year as this. So, and and you know, you've got similar things there. Battle Beyond the Stars was a year later, but I'm just wondering if this is one of the very first instances of somebody having the idea of that's a classic shot, I'm going to copy it. I think I think the humanoid was down as 79 where this was 78, so um but the humanoid has the triangular spaceship. Where this isn't a triangular spaceship, no. it's just a. It's a, well, it's a, it's a it's a weird ship. Right, really. let's get into this then, because <laughs> here we go. Right, this spaceship. I mean, I don't know what. I don't know the shape of this spaceship. I mean, <laughs> it comes overhead, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As the ship yeah. goes over, we see on its underside. Oh, here we go. Um, any listeners that are uh, 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 kit part spotters, you're going to have a field day um, coming up <laughs> right now. So, how many of the parts did you spot as this uh, ship went over? Not so much as it went over. It's that kind of shot of it going past the camera where you notice the majority. But there's certainly um, the engines of the Saturn V Apollo, you know, the Airfix, three rows of them on the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I made a note as it went over. I, I, I was quickly making a note, and as you in this first shot where it goes over the camera and you see the underside, you have got domes, as you say, from the Saturn V kit. Yeah, yeah. You've got the underside of the Eagle Transporter's cargo pod. Yeah. You've got an engine ring from the Saturn V, and and this is the thing that you know I, I still find staggering to this day. You've got a bunch of sprue, haven't you? Yeah, a lot of sprue. <laughs> now, I, th- I think we should just stop for a minute and, and just uh, explain to anybody who doesn't know what a sprue is, is that if you if you buy a model kit and you open the box, all the <laughs> kit parts are there on these plastic trees that you snip the kit parts off and then you glue them together and you throw the sprue away, mm. don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Not here, though. <laughs> yeah. it's, like, here, it's, like, it's like they threw the kit parts away and kept the sprue. Yeah, I mean, you've got a ton of sprue on there. Some of the sprue have st- has still got kit parts still on them. Yeah. Hmm. But we'll we'll go into that in the behind the scenes because <laughs> yes. otherwise we'll, we'll get we'll get sidetracked by that. But yeah, we will. Yeah. We will. Um, so this is the Star Wars shot. The spaceship goes over. Then we then cut to a top shot of the ship where you're looking directly down on the spaceship and you're a fair distance away now but you still can't tell what sort of shape it is it's it's sort of roughly rectangular it looks like a shoebox or something again it you know it, it's not a bad shot the top shot is actually very sort of 
aesthetically pleasing, I suppose you would say. And the model's actually got lights in it, and it's got like a nice sort of feel to it. Um, in fact, I think this is one of the few models that actually does have lights in it. Um, mm. You know, it seems a lot of them later on just seem to have lights draped draped on them like fairy lights, but I think this has actually got them in built in. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's no sort of discernible sort of at this point. I know what I'm looking at. No um, type shape. And, and this shot doesn't look too bad as it slowly goes past, and you're looking directly down on it, and, and below that you've got the brilliantly coloured star field that's not too bad but then we get the the the, the shot that the infamous shot don't we yeah. where yeah. you've got a side on view and it, as it very slowly goes left to right now well, were you we, were, were you part spotting on this bit oh yeah i mean this this is like <laughs> you know as a teenager i was like looking at this and thinking yeah eagle transporter saturn 5 you know you couldn't help but spot the parts on this and this is the shot out of all the ones we've just talked about where you can actually just tell that the model is just one color white yes. it's just pure white there's no weathering there's no panels details or anything it's just white yeah and that yeah. and that's kind of it and as it flies right past and we see the name the murray linester mm. uh, on that apollo Part, it you can just see it's just white yeah <laughs> um, oh, and i remember yeah, sort yeah. of thinking you know even, even back then i knew that you had to kind of sort of weather these things to try and give them a bit of scale and things but i remember thinking that's a bit cheap looking it's just and oh there's a bit of eagle transport ahead there which is the most obvious part you know that you can spot if you know the eagle transport that you can't fail to recognize the the head uh go mm. past so we said earlier, you know, that um, you know, by the time they started work on the film, Star Wars had been out in the States and there must have been magazines. I'm sure whoever's in charge of, uh, you know, the ideas for the model work, mm. you know, had read an article saying, yes, we kit bash and we kit bash by, by getting a basic shape and then we dress and detail with model kit parts. And yeah. they did that. <laughs> they took it literally. They have done it. They have got a basic shape and they have put kit parts on, but without any thought of form or function or whether anything is in scale with something else. And Martin Bow always says, use kit parts, but disguise them, you know, take a bit yeah. off, add a bit to it, you know, change the form of it. But here, like you say, it's like what they've done is they've got a basic shape, covered it in contact glue, yeah. and dipped it in a bucket of kit parts, and then just pulled it back out again. There's yeah, the, no rhyme or reason for any of it. The, there's one part just near that uh, Eagle Transport ahead as it goes past, and I think it's uh, sprue from a Panzer tank, and it's still got... Do you know those kind of chassis parts which are yep. in there? Um, yep. You can just see the chassis part just, like, literally hanging off the sprue right above it. Um, I've just glued one of them on a model kit today, and yeah. I thought of what we're doing today <laughs> when I did it. Yeah, there's yeah, just idea. there's just bits like that all over it. Um, but you know, the 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 above shot kind of is slightly more distant, so the parts sort of merge in a bit more. But that that close up shot just doesn't do any favors whatsoever. No, uh, again, again, I've got a shopping list of what I I spotted. So as it goes left to right. Mm. Again, there are domes from the Saturn V. There yeah. are leg pods from the Eagle Transporter. Um, where the escape craft that we're going to be soon uh, talking about are stored, 
They're sat on a platform whose columns are the neck of the Eagle Transport. That's right, yeah. Upright. yeah. With those ridge, ridge sections, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, yeah if, if, if you're a science fiction kit builder, you know that straight away. Um, and the area below that is a Saturn V rocket half. And then another part of the ship, as, it, as it's travelling along, comes into shot that's much closer to the camera. And then we've got, right, landing feet from the Eagle Transporter, mm. parts from the SRN4 hovercraft, as yep. you say, the tank wheels and chassis bits um, on the sprue. <laughs> yeah. The Eagle Transporter beak is just stuck inside a Saturn V rocket half as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> mm. Well, there's um, the, what you said, Martin Bauer said about not only disguising, uh, the, there's that kind of using parts intelligently, um, uh, you know, the, the, the way you, you lay the parts together. Um, and there's just no intelligence with any of this. It's just a, it's right. a case of just get them on there to make it look like detailed. And um, I think at a distance, it probably does work because it just becomes like a shape with sort of light and shadow but yeah as soon as you get close up it's like yeah there's no intelligence behind no. this whatsoever um no. and again there's a great behind the scenes story about that <laughs> yeah we'll be coming up to that but also on facebook i'm going to be putting up i'm sure you've seen them um photos of uh, publicity photos of caroline munro dressed as stella yeah. um in the model workshop and mm. all the models are around and because they're from a distance yeah they look silvery or they yeah. look far too white but they don't look too bad because mm. you're not up close it's when you yeah. get up close that that's the problem and boy did that camera get up close for all these bits yeah for, for, for that shot really i mean you know it was far too close to, to sort of see the name uh, going past yeah yeah, and as you say, I mean, that's the only decal that we have on the whole ship, the Murray Leinster, who Mind was a writer. Um, he was a Golden Age um, yeah. science fiction writer, wasn't he? Yeah. In fact, I think the first piece of dialogue as well as something to do with Major Bradbury to Communication yeah. Bridge, which is yeah. obviously Ray Bradbury. And, um, yeah, you know, I so mean, the, Luigi Cosi, he, he was a huge science fiction fan. And, yeah, and yeah calling the ship the Murray Leinster um, is a nod to, to the guy. And as you say, we go into the ship where we the first line of dialogue we hear is Major Bradbury to the communication bridge. Mm. Another nod. I don't know whether Ray would have been too proud of um, you know yeah. the name check in this. You know, but the, the, these sets that we can, that kind of cut into are very sort of sparse. There's, you know, they are very of that sort of era of sci-fi pre-Star Wars in terms of uh, you know the just bare sort of sets with minimal detail. Sorry, I was, I was going to say, say the other thing I was going to mention there is actually when the ship goes past, there's the noise it makes in that close-up. It's like, yeah. it's like you know, there's a real <laughs> swirly whoosh of, I don't know what it is, engine noise, but yeah, it's kind of slightly psychedelic as it goes past. It's funny that you use there the word sparse, because that's exactly what I've got here in my show notes. I've put, we have a bloke in a turning lift who then goes down a very sparse, almost 2001 corridor. Yeah, hasn't it got one of those sort of telephones on the wall? You no, know, like which used to have the domes yeah. in the airports. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I do recall as well. Yeah, and these guys on this spaceship—I mean, their outfits. Oh dear. Um, yeah. Never ever wear gold in science fiction ever, unless you're C three PO. You should never ever wear gold in science fiction. It's a big no-no. 
Yeah, I mean, this is the point where we're getting almost to the 1930s Flash Gordon because they've got mm. helmets with kind of like almost like electrical ray things mm. on on top of them and fins. Um, it and is the, a very Flash Gordon look, yes, definitely. Yeah, you know, the actual sort of size of the bridge uh, and the layout isn't actually too bad. It's not a badly built set in proportion. It's just incredibly poorly detailed and, and stuff, you know. But the same... The same thing with Roger Christian's magic probably would have looked amazing, but uh, unfortunately, yeah, Roger Christian. Yeah, Roger Christian wasn't that... on it. No, he was off doing something else. Yeah. Um, I, I tell you what, that bridge reminds me an awful lot of, and it was another piece of European seventies um, science fiction. Is uh, Star Maidens? Oh yeah, yeah. Do you remember Star Maidens? Yeah, I do remember the that, German yeah. English uh, yeah. science fiction, thing, which was made at pretty much this same time. That set looks like it could have been from that TV show, definitely. Yeah, they've got these sort of seats with kind of Hoover pipes sticking out the back, and for some bizarre reason, someone's gone around the edge with rivets, uh, like kind of domed rivets, and it just looks kind of. It doesn't really know what it wants to be. Whether it wants to be high tech, low tech, you know, retro. It's sort of all it's all over the place, really. It is all over the place. When you consider we're only a year away from Alien and the bridge of the Nostromo, <laughs> yeah, a yeah. year before we've got this, and at the same time we've got you know the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, it is rather jarring. It's like it's ten years too late. I mean, we keep saying Barbarella. It mm. could have been made in '68. This opening bit very much could have been a, a late '60s film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, anyway. All right, so we've entered the very heart of the haunted stars, Major Bradbury is told. Um, <laughs> and it seems that they've been trying to discover the hidden fortress of the villain uh, yeah. called Count Zarth Arn. Do you yeah. think Zarth is a play on Darth? Probably, yeah. yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure, like I say, I'm sure this is, this is like, you know, late 77, early 78, everyone's going, oh, yeah, I'm going to copy this. Nobody else will think about doing this. But <laughs> not thinking that it's becoming, it's going to become quite a cliche. There is actually, a, um, I do have it somewhere. There was a, an early draft of the script online. I printed out Donkeys years ago, which, you know, is the original Luigi Cosi version. And I'll have to reread it because I know it is a lot different. Um just jumping forward in the plot slightly, the the sequence where Stella gets frozen and he brings her back to life with you know his powers, and um, what he actually does in the original script, bizarrely, is the Bob Tessier character, who's uh, since been killed. He transplants his internal organs into Stella to save her. Really, that's what happened in that's what happens in the original version of the script. Yeah, he actually. Acton physically transplants his entire internal organs into Stella. <laughs> Instead, we just get Errol hold her hand. Yeah, he kind of yeah. he does that kind of electrical ray thing, and then kind of holds her hand, and suddenly her hair's beautiful again. But uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the original draft of the script, he transplants the guy's internal okay. organs, which I wouldn't have thought would be too too good, really, if you're a woman and you've got a, internal organs of a bloke. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know. A, a okay. green, a green bloke at that. But. A green bloke, yeah. All right, so we've got a shot of the ship flying past loads of colourful planets, um, which reminds me, even though you know they hadn't made Battle um, Battle Beyond the Stars, it looked very much the angle of the the model and the way it comes towards the camera is pretty yeah. darn good, and it looks like something from Battle Beyond the Stars. I thought. Yeah, yeah, um, that's that's again, it's an interesting shot. That one with the colourful planets. There's like three planets, isn't it, with crescents, and um, yeah, you know, it's it's not a bad shot and. 
Um, I, I always remember thinking, you know, we're all the, the lighting on the planet's correct, as in, you know, one of them, the crescent doesn't look like it's quite the same route where's everybody else's crescent, so... But, um, all right, so they scan a frozen planet, um, yeah. this frozen planet, which I, I guess is Hoth before there ever was a Hoth. He, um, he calls it a barren desert of whiteness. Yeah, yeah. And mm. I'm thinking that's Hoth, but hang yeah. on, this is a, a few years before Empire but, Strikes Back. But the fact, that, the, fact, the fact he calls it a desert of whiteness, you know. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Um, but the ship is attacked with, by what looks a bit like a lava lamp, doesn't it? It's <laughs> yeah. a, a, a red blobs. Again, we're back to the math moss, aren't we, though? We're back to Barbarella. And... We are. We are. And, and you know, the blobs, they're just crudely superimposed over the exterior of the ship and then yeah. the interior of the ship. You know, there's no mention of how it gets in the ship. It isn't. It's just that they've superimposed this effect over everything. Yeah, and everybody's rolling around on the floor holding their heads. Yeah, unconvincingly. Yeah. Um, and the escape shuttles launch and I can't see the wires but they look an awful lot like they've been lifted up off the model on fishing wire or something yeah and everything's just been bathed now at this point in red light so the entire outside of the ship's just bright red yes um, <laughs> um, and yeah there's like the, the three shuttles um, all identical and again lots of Apollo parts on there just kind of raise up and fly off in sequence don't they yep Yep, yep, and the and then the ship blows up unconvincingly as well. Well, yeah, you have that kind of shot of it sort of spiraling down towards the planet or mm. heading towards the planet. Then there's this massive explosion, and then the everything's gone the the, the planet, the the yeah. ship, and everything. Um, and then that's where your opening credit starts. Um, yes, and here we go. Here we go with <laughs> a, oh no, this isn't Star Wars at all, Governor. To have the opening crawl. Yeah, Star Crash. And- but it's okay because we also get the John Barry music at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't have a problem with. The, the thing I don't have a problem with at all and can't fall is the music. It it's, sounds like it's from a completely different film, but mm. the music is top-notch. I love the music in this film. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I read somewhere where some of the music that was written for this, which didn't get used, got recycled into out of Africa, you know, probably just some of the quieter themes. Um, oh, right. But Bar- Barry's another one of those composers. He, If you re- if you know his work, then you do recognise certain pieces of music that he, he recycles mm. himself. So um, I was never a, a huge fan of John Barry as a, a musician. I don't, I don't mind his work, but he wasn't somebody I would buy the soundtrack albums of. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, to get somebody like him on board is, I suppose, quite a big... A big thing, wasn't it? You know, it, it could have, it could have quite easily gone for that kind of European electronic route, like the Goblin type yeah. music. But you, they, they do have, you know, yeah, an orchestral score. But they quite famously, didn't they? They didn't show him the film because they didn't want to scare him off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. So this crawl, then this knockoff Star Wars crawl, um, they're trying to do what Star Wars did, but the font's all wrong. Yeah, it yeah. moves. It moves too fast. Yeah, and it doesn't disappear when it reaches the top of the screen. It sort of like just clumps together at the top, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, aye. <laughs> and I did, like you said, I do remember being quite a fast reader and thinking this is going way, way too fast. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, like you've accidentally pressed the fast forward button or something. Yeah, you know, you re- you read it so much and then pause it and read it and then set it off again. You know, you can't do that yeah. in the cinema, obviously, but you can on home video. So anyway, the the 
the credits, they all clump up at the top, and then we cut to the credits. And um, first big shock, Marjo Gortner is top build. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Now, the only thing I don't like about this film is Marjo Gortner. I've just got a problem with him. I just can't stand looking at him. I, I, there's he, just something about him. Yeah, he's he's uh, an, an odd-looking bloke, isn't he, really? Um, he's an odd-looking bloke who's gurning all the time. He's either gurning or he's grinning or, oh, there's just some... He's just insufferable. I, I, I really, really feel the need to give him a slap every do time you, I do, see do, him. Do you know the background to Marjorie Gartner? I do. Go on, you, you, you tell us. Yeah, he he was a a, a a child evangelist, wasn't he? He used to actually. I think he he performed a marriage when he was something like seven year old. Um, no, lower than that, he performed his first wedding at four. Oh, four was it? Right. But yeah. The, yeah. There was a documentary, quite a well known documentary, made uh, about him uh, in his life with his family, who sort of pushed him into, you know, this whole. Um, Sort of, I suppose it was the Bible Belt, wasn't it, in America? Yes, yeah. Um, you know, going around um, doing all sorts of um, stuff. And Mar- Marjo comes from Mary and Joseph. Yeah, it's a merge of uh, Mary and Joseph. That's why yeah, it's called Marjo. Yeah, yeah. There's just something about him. He, he creeps me out and he irritates me in equal measure. Yeah, um, he was quite he, cre- he, he was a creepy character in Earthquake. That's what I remember him in. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was that um national guardsman, the one who's trying to sort of, you know, get off with that woman and he was a bit of a creep and that and yeah, he, he he's not he's not your handsome or your Luke Skywalker, is he? Oh boy, no. No, I, I remember seeing him in Kojak. He was a bit of a creep in Kojak. He was in all those sorts of shows. Yeah, I think he always was though. He, you know, it would be like casting Andy Robinson after Dirty Harry as like you know your main leading man. You think no, this is a creepy guy. You know, you yeah. you, you know he he doesn't he's not leading man material. Um, no, you know, they are very similar. I hadn't made the connection, but yeah, those two have got something about them, haven't they? Yeah, and he's a he's a. Again, we've got like Brad Dourif. I mean, I absolutely love Brad Dourif. I think he's absolutely brilliant. But Brad Dourif is the certain type of actor you hire when you want a certain type of creepiness portrayed on the screen. Mm. Um, you know, he's never going to be um, a family man. He's he's just not that type of actor, and he does it brilliantly. Um, you know, Brad Dourif's way ahead of people like Marjo Gorton, like, but. Um, but you wouldn't have had Brad Dourif as co-pilot to, on a spaceship on a Star Wars. No. Rip-off, would you no, do? definitely Same not. as you wouldn't have Marjo here. Oh, dear. Right, okay, we'll go through the credits. The credits go through, and we end with directed by Lewis Coates. Yeah. Um, now, I thought that was just for, like, the English market, but it's on my French version as well. It says mm. Lewis Coates. It doesn't say Luigi Cosi. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't uh, know... Do, do you know why... I think he, it was. It was just a. Ca- I think it was just a case of trying to sell it to foreign markets. And if you've got a name like Lewis, you know, it sounds more like George Lucas than, you know, uh, again the similar thing with the the, the humanoid Aldo Lado was replaced with a, an equally English sounding name to to probably appeal to foreign moviegoers who would then think, you know, if you, if you see him Luigi Cosi, oh, it sounds like it's. You know, foreign, but if it's Lewis Coates or, you know, an, an yeah, American movie. they might be movie. right. They might think mm. it's some sort of like sword and sandal film or something like that. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, and I, sp- I suppose, you know, people now to say Lewis Cutts, where Luigi Cosi or, you know, people might not even know how to pronounce it, especially back then, they were probably like, you know, well, how do you even say that? So, hmm. Hmm. All right, well, after the crawl, we, we cut back to space and we see Stellar Star's ship. Hmm. Um, it's not that clear on, on my original version, um, just, you know, what the shape is it looks just like a bit like a flat triangle i don't think they're trying to do a star destroyer thing with it it looks a bit like a flat triangle the the french version that i've got there's there's two or three extra model shots and i can see more clearly now just what that ship's meant to look like but on on my my english one and i'm guessing the american one you've got a very brief glimpse of it and that's the end of it it's kind of almost like a flat triangle with almost like the Millennium Falcon type mandibles at the front with the other sort of section plugged in, which detaches. Um, you know, there's the, there's the a bit when it actually pulls away. Um, but yeah, it, it is literally just like one sort of thickness all the way around in a triangular shape, just covered in detail. Yeah. <laughs> But the camera's far enough away that you can't see the clunky detail. Um, yeah. it, lo- it, it looks all right in this shot. Um, and we cut to uh, the bridge, and we've got space smuggler Stellar Star there, old Caroline Munro, yeah. um, and Marjo as Acton, her co-pilot and navigator. Yeah. Um, now, Acton, does that sound like Acton to you, if you Acton, see what I mean? As, as in, in the Act- place. Uh, no, never really thought of that. But it's not so. until I say it out loud. Like, I mean, Acton, yeah. the, the 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 character we're talking about is A K T O N, but yeah. uh, of course, there's a an area of London called Acton, which is with yeah. a C rather than a K, and of course, that's where the uh, uh, power plant was, wasn't it? The decommissioned yeah. power plant where they filmed Aliens yeah. uh, was there, it, and. Yeah, it's just a coincidence, but it, it kind of like takes me out of it a bit. It's a bit like, do you remember that Space 1999 episode uh, called the the Rules of Luton? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because that Freddie, what's his name? The yeah, producer. He'd, he'd seen Fred- it on a sign, hadn't he, or something like a road sign. Yeah, he was driving into the studios, and oh, uh, we're going to call this planet Luton because I yeah. saw it on a sign, and everyone's like, "What you mean Luton?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 same sort of thing. The, in, the inside um, so, of that spaceship, though, so this is their bridges. This is where we get into the Barbarella territory because their control panel is very organic. It's very kind of sculpted, isn't it? It's like this black kind of sort of organic shape uh, that they're sat behind. It's it's not Andrew, like a standard control panel. Andrew, you're doing it again. My my notes say the bridge looks very Barbarella with its <laughs> controls and seats. You're reading my mind again. It is. This is totally and utterly Barbarella. Luigi yeah. Cosi, big science fiction fan. You know, he wants to make his uh, space epic. Mm. Fan of Barbarella, looks at Barbarella. I've got this female, you know, heroine, um, space adventurer. There was a film 10 years ago called Barbarella. Um, I'm going to pinch from that as well. And yeah, this bridge, it could totally be uh, one of Jane Fonda's, totally. Yeah, and it's just got sort of like dressing, like vac form panels and some lights and things. But it, the, 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 the window's almost kind of like um, struts, isn't it? It's like mm. cr- crisscross struts they're looking out like a, I don't know if it's meant to be a bubble or what, like a curved bubble. No, because you, yeah. you never see the cockpit from the outside, so you've got no idea of just what's going on there. 
No, you, you do see one one shot of the outside of the cockpit. It's, uh, there's a, a miniature shot where they're actually re-projected in after the. Oh, of captured. course, yes, yeah, yeah. And, you, and, and again, it's got the, the the domes off the Apollo rocket on either side of that cockpit, kind of glued on. Um, yeah, which is very recognisable. It's getting a bit late. But we keep saying Barbarella, and another Barbarella thing is coming up. Stella's in the first of her many, many outfits. Yeah, yeah. She gets through an awful lot of costume changes, just like Barbarella did. This one, though, this first one, is quite subtle, and she's mm. quite covered up compared to what she's going to be wearing later on in the film. Yeah, I think um, she, has, she has more costume changes in uh, Queen Amidala in the Star Wars prequels. She does, doesn't she? <laughs> but we've... Um, we've still got no talking from either of them at the moment, which is a bit of a blessing. Yeah. Um, and we see sort of that their ship is being pursued because, again, you see another shot of their ship and then something goes past very fast. And I guess you're supposed to infer that, oh, they're being chased, although it's the way yeah. it's shot and edited. <laughs> it's just something happens quickly. Yeah. And this, this, the first line he says is brilliant, isn't it? What, aha, looks like the cops. Looks like the cops, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we cut to the monitor and we've got the lovely Thor there, tells them to surrender. He's like the head of police or something, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's Bob Tessier. Yes. He was yeah. kind of like very well known for playing sort of thugs on things like The Fall Guy and, um, you know, those type of movies. And yeah, he's typecast like, here as well, isn't Buck, he? Buck Rogers in the 25th century. And... Yes, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So here we go. The, the response to um, him telling them to surrender is Stella barking, full speed, yeah. she goes. She's got this maniacal grin and the most awful high-pitched dubbing. Um, yeah. She sounds like she's like 10 years old or something. She goes, full speed, with this, yeah. st- oh, my goodness. I can't remember who dubbed her, um, but it, is, it does mention online um, somewhere about the the actress who dubbed her she was an american actress um actually it, her name was candy clark um oh, and, that, that, that's right yeah yeah and she was married to marjo at the time yeah well candy clark funnily enough she, she's from the man who felt the worth in american graffiti that's right yeah yeah uh, and i'll tell you another film which candy clark's in it's one of my favorites from the 1980s is she's the um, she's the girl from Blue Thunder with Roy Schneider. She's the one who's in the dumpster at the um, the driving movie when she's looking for the tape they've dumped in there, and he's flying around in a helicopter, and she's climbed into the dumpster to try and find it. She's got oh, to take. Right. It, she's got to take it to the police station. Yeah, I really like Candy Clark. Yeah, I haven't seen that film for a long time. I'll have to dig it out and 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 watch it and see if she sounds like she's ten year old in that one because. Yeah. It's awful. She full speed with this yeah. just terrible, terrible smile on her face. What is she doing? What what motivation was the director giving? Is he trying to infer that you know she's just full of the thrill of the chase and you know yeah. she's this smuggler and you know just everything is adventure to her? <clears throat> but it's just handled so awkwardly. It's really weird. Yeah, and we've got that that like a, a hyperspace effect coming up, haven't we? Yeah, but before that, we get police robot L, don't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with his kind of Texan out like, accent. Well, I was going to say he's not a bad design, you know. I mean, I quite, I quite like the look of the helmet and the outfit and everything. But what's with that? Why has he got that southern drawl? 
He's like the 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 inept cop in Dukes of Hazard, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no. The guy who played him was Judd Hamilton, wasn't he? It was, yes. And and he was married to Munro um, at that point. But then the voice is done by somebody called Hamilton Camp. <laughs> so there's there's, Great there's, name. there's there's so there's like two Hamiltons. There's Judd Hamilton and there's Hamilton Camp, who's actually doing the voice for him. Um, now, I think. I'm just trying to think what Hamilton Camp possibly worked on, but it's not a name that springs to mind. Uh, no, no, can't say. <laughs> can't say I'm. I know either. But uh, we've got the. Then we've got these awful shots. That the ships are racing along with almost vapor trails um, after them, haven't they? Yeah, well, I think the vapor trails actually look like they're almost before them as well. Like they're sliding down some kind <laughs> of like sort of incline. Um, and they've just been letting away and I don't know what's been masked out but yeah the vapor trills are uh, weird aren't they? it's like side on shot yeah mm. yeah it's totally side on uh, yeah dear, oh dear um, and go for hyperspace last yeah. Stella yeah. again yeah. and he goes and, go and, for it oh and I, that, I, that oh, I, it's it's like fingernails down a blackboard for me when he goes go for it like that with that, yeah. that grin on his face oh dear he yeah. winds me up this guy it, it's just so over the top and entirely out of place with all this grinning you know mm. yeah <laughs> and then we get a bargain basement hyperspace effect don't we yeah it looks almost like it's like re-projected tv footage doesn't it it's like yeah that, i don't know where they got that from it's it's like um, sort of TV interference, a bit like the opening of Doctor Who, where they like they've pointed the TV camera at the TV, and you're getting that it's feedback. Kind of, yeah, like a feedback loop. Right. Um, that's what it maybe it was. Like. Maybe it was. Yeah. So anyway, that 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 travelling through hyperspace, we get a bit of banter between the two of them, and you know, where Acton's telling them what their chances are of survival, and um, <laughs> he's, it's like one yeah. percent or whatever, and yeah. uh, they. And they drop back into real space right next to a neutron star. That's right, the big green thing. Yeah, and we we get Acton's uh, reaction to that. And he is just so bad. He's just staring. And even mm. just his staring is unconvincing. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. So they, ha- they have to eject part of their ship. Um, yeah, like the, and, the, the uh, sort of engine section, I suppose. Yeah, now in... The UK version that I've got, you barely see anything. You see it start to detach, but that's it. But in the French version, you see a lot more of the model shots. Yeah, which makes uh, you wonder why why they cut those handful of shots out that make more sense. Why don't you cut some of the grinning out? If you cut some yeah. of this grinning out, you've you, mm-hmm. you've saved minutes, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Stella tells Acton to plot a new course. That's and right, the yeah. worst line of the film, although I still like it, but it is the worst line of the film, is Acton saying, even as we speak, it's been taken care of. <laughs> yeah. Nobody talks like this. Nobody, yeah. nobody, nobody talks like this. It's it's truly dire dialogue, and it's delivered terribly as well. Yeah, I know. I think my, my um, next... The, the line that always got me is the one which is coming up where the detector spaceship... And it's the way that Stella says, it's a spaceship. Like, it's, she's never seen one before. They're, they're in space, on a spaceship. They've just been chased by spaceships. And she says, it's a spaceship. And he says, no, it's a launch. 
but it's yeah. just that it's just that reaction. You're thinking, yeah, you you you're working around these things on a daily basis. By the look of it, I wouldn't be that yeah. fascinated by it. And again, she sounds like she's ten years old when she goes. It's a spaceship. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And yeah, he's been he's being a right asshole. He's being pedantic and says, "Oh no, it's not a spaceship. It's a launch. But mm. it's in space and it's flying through space. It is a spaceship, then, isn't it? Yeah, it's not yeah. a launch as in a boat launch. You know, that's yeah. been picked up from mm. the ocean. Hmm. Yeah. Um. And and I like the shot where you see it close up because this this escape craft launch, whatever it is. It clearly has got an Airfix Lunar Module command section on its yeah, roof, hasn't it, it? it? It's not like they've used that miniature for the escape sequence earlier on and then built a better version for the close-up. It's the same <laughs> one, and it is, it's incredible. You know, if you if you know the parts, you realise that is an incredibly small model that yeah. they're, they're focusing in. <laughs> you know, we, we, we're talking it's probably only about sort of six or seven inches, if that. I think what I'm going to do is, uh, on the Facebook page, I'm going to do some compare and contrast. I'm going to put up a photo of, say, this this spaceship yeah. alongside the model kit part so everyone can see just how blatantly they've just cut something off and stuck mm. it on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think the only part I'm not 100% sure on is the main body of it because I think the rest of it is kind of uh, the, the, the moon lander and um, the Apollo rocket. Um, but the, the the main body is probably like the part of a half track or something. But um, yeah, the main body is definitely. I don't know. Neat. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I mean, it, it's not the sequence we're talking about now. But later on in the film, uh, where you see Thor's ship, that's quite a nice shape ship. Okay, mm. it's got all these sprue all over it, but the actual shape with its bug eyes and that looks quite yeah. nifty, you know. And and when you see a photo of it being built, it looks like it's made out of foam core or something like that. So it could be that this this ship is a foam core shape and then they've um kit bashed it. Mm. Yeah. But we get a nice shot of the two ships together. It's actually not a bad shot where you see them alongside each other. Mm. Um and then Stella spacewalks to yeah. it. To, uh, to, in a, to, to probably the most minimal set you'll ever see in a movie. <laughs> and she's in her second outfit, uh, yeah. which is, again, Barbarella. It's a clear plastic spacesuit. Yeah. Um, um, with, and I really like this. I like the nifty clear dome helmet that she's got on that. Because they've got no money for yeah. this film but that helmet is actually pretty good now obviously they couldn't have vac formed that or something like that 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 must be something that they've pinched off of something yeah it looks almost like a water like cooler a, yeah i was gonna say a water cooler that's the type of thing it looks like doesn't it yeah but it's it, it, it's really really good i like that but uh, yeah when, when we get to behind the scenes i'll mention something about that all right. Well, we're almost there because um, the last bit we have, we've got a rather terrible mat of the live action onto the airlock of the yeah. model, uh, which is yeah. really quite awful. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Well, yeah. would you even call it an airlock? It just looks like there's a hole in the side of the ship. <laughs> All right. We're meant to think it's an airlock. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's the sequence over. So mm. we can go straight into behind the scenes. All right. right. Right, well, that, going back to the helmet straight away, there's a, the, the concept artwork, um, apparently, although he was on credit, was by a guy called Nisso Ramponi. Now, I've done a bit of a search for him, and he seems like he was just a European um, illustrator doing everything from comic books to even kind of quite 
bawdy looking postcards. But some of his concept artwork, and one of them actually is of the helmet, uh, and it does look like it was designed to be that shape. Mm. Um, and they've sort of stuck, stuck to his design. So whether you know it was custom-made back form, um, or, he, he, or, or he found the object first. Um, it could be that he made it first um, mm. and, um, you know, spent a bit of money on it, and that's where all the money went, and, you know, that's what they yeah. had to the, end up doing the things we're shortly going to be talking about. Yeah, possibly. But, the, um, you know, the, you've certainly got the same book I have, which is the one with the, the model getting made, the bug-eyed mo- model, and it does give you that little piece of information there in the Starlog mm. book. Which says, you know, that there was 96 technicians apparently hired. Um, you know, they were all put to work and, you know, even said some of them were sort of essentially college students or school children. Yeah, that's the Starlog article. It, it says, yeah. you know, they, they, they um, 96 te- technicians to build the props and the models, but they all had to be built in two days. Yeah. Now, if that is true, then, you, you know, the clock is ticking and you can. There, there, there is a reason then for the crudeness of the model work, the fact that they just sprayed white or silver, you know. Um, you have an explanation for it, mm. uh, if that is true. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, in the article it said the miniature ships were built by a few le- youths led yeah. by 20-year-old Paul Zakara mm, yeah. from, as you say, designs by Niso Ramponi, yeah. you know. No, no. no. Zakara is actually still working in the industry. I've checked on IMDb, and he, he's worked on a lot of movies over the years, including The Humanoid, but he's still working even now, obviously, right. in the, the digital realm. So he's one of the few who's actually got a career out of doing visual effects. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, I suppose if he has only got that amount of time, it would seem that somebody essentially formed these spaceship shapes yes. um, in a workshop. And then passed it on to them. And just said, yeah, glue as many bits as you can on there. Um, yeah, read it. Read this Starlog where it tells you how to do it, and then go and do it. Here's some money to go down to the model shop and get some kits. It yeah. says in the article, use Saturn Five, so go and buy some Saturn Fives, and that's <laughs> probably yeah. what they did. Yeah, yeah. but the the, but, the first the first chip you see is like is probably one of the better ones in a way because it, it seems like you know they spend a little bit more money on putting lights in it, and they've they bothered to paint that one white. Um, and it doesn't look too bad in some of the shots, except for the close-up. But then everything after that is just pretty much, yeah, everything was spread silver. Yes. Um, and just lit with coloured lights. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, it totally is a case of, you know, um, Luigi Cozy. he had this ambitious idea with, obviously, a lot of enthusiasm. And initially, I guess, a bit of money to get, you know, like Christopher Plummer involved and Caroline Munro involved and, and everybody else. Um, and it, it says that he was a massive fan of Ray Harryhausen and he wanted to do Sinbad Goes to Space. Yeah. This is meant to be Sinbad Goes to Space. Um, and, yeah, S- Stella and Acton, they're basically meant to be Han Solo and Chewbacca, okay? Mm. And Acton was originally devised as an alien, but Marjo yeah. refused to wear any heavy makeup. Right. So that's why we have his bare face. Maybe if he had a mask on, maybe I would like him more. But yeah, um, mm. yeah. The um, and, go on. 
I was going to say both in the original. I, I don't know if this is in the script that you saw, but it says originally both he and Stella were meant to be some sort of superhumans. That's why the haunted star thing didn't uh, defeat them. And also there's a documentary on my French one where Caroline Munro says um, it's an onset interview with her where she's describing Stella Star and she says that Stella Star has powers that come out of her fingers and that she was growing her nails especially for it but obviously all these scenes were cut out right oh okay that's different the um the documentary I've got I think there's sort of sections that are actually in foreign um so I've, uh, that's on the the DVD Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's quite a lot of foreign uh, interviews. I like, almost like kind of candid interviews, um, right? I, I recall. But uh, um, yeah, the the other guy who worked on this quite a lot was a guy called Armando Valcauda, and he was in charge of the special effects as well. You know, actually putting these onto screen. And um, I think he was the same bloke who did the stop motion. And um, there was going to be a stop motion crab creature, which apparently they did film, yeah. but looked so bad they actually scrapped. Yeah, I found a photo of it. I'll put it on Facebook. I mean, yeah. you and I, we haven't got uh, region-free Blu-ray players, which is bloody annoying because, from what I can gather, the American Blu-ray of this film has an awful lot of the deleted scenes in it and, like, the making of uh, documentaries right. and everything, when they, when you put it together, are actually longer than the film itself. Yeah, I'd love to see that, but, you know, I, I guess I've got to get another Blu-ray player. Yeah. But, but for all the kind of clunkiness of these miniatures, the spaceships, there's still like something very aesthetically pleasing about them in a way. You know, the, 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 they've got like a nice style to themselves. A bit kind of like the Flash Gordon rocket ships have a nice style and the Star Wars ships. You know, you kind of know these are from Star Crash. Mm. Um, and they're not trying to be Star Wars in a way. You know, they've come up with some quite out there designs like the space claw and sort of some of the other ships now whether this is purely because this was the easiest thing to build or the first thing they thought about building i don't know but you know the actual designs themselves i actually do like them and if i could if i if i could have kits of them or versions of them i'd quite happily <laughs> and, I, and i've even built the, the, the space claw i did a 3d studio max version of it many years ago right um, you know and tried to kind of keep faithful to the lego because oh, Lego blocks is one thing we haven't mentioned. Um, there's there's quite a lot of Lego blocks we used in some of these miniatures, especially the Space Claw and the Floating City at the end, um, which was really, really multicolored. Like, you know, that was like a case of loads and loads of colored lights all over that. Mm. And uh, we just hear about this evacuation of the Floating City, but we don't actually see anything happening. They just say <laughs> we've evacuated it. And... Um, and you know the the ridiculous part of the plot is that the the, the star crash is actually essentially getting one shi- one ship and crashing into the other one. This is way before they thought about doing it in the Last Jedi. Um, <laughs> you know, just get a ship and crash into the other one, and there, there's your there's your big explosion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd love that. As I say, I love this film. You know, you shouldn't, but you know, it's got a charm to it, and you know. Um, everything about it is just—it's just fun, and I watch it with a big grin on my face. And then when you read about, you know, the, how the, the the difficulties that they have, you know, yeah. the fact that you know Caroline Munro uh, is dubbed because they couldn't afford her to fly her back to do the uh, 
the her own dubbing of her scenes, all this sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I like the one about how the early promotional photos of the Murray Leinster were printed upside down. That's right. And yeah, the, the, the DVD result, cover the, I was going to say yeah. has has that, and the Vipco cover's got it upside down. Yeah, the the, the yeah. original theatrical poster had the spaceship upside down because somebody had photographed it upside down. It's this sort of, you know, ineptitude that it makes the film so charming. It really does. But the other thing people remember about the posters was the certain posters, which are obviously kind of Frazetta ripoffs, where you've got this kind of muscular-looking bloke who's meant to be Acton, and you've got Stella. And and Carolyn was already voluptuous anyway, so that doesn't really matter, but... Then you've got these spaceships, which are the Millennium Falcon and the Star Destroyer, yeah. with kind of like, let's put it backwards and have the engines coming out of this way. And yeah. All, yeah, so the, them spaceships on some of them posters bear no relevance whatsoever. There's a really, really nice poster, and I did put it on Instagram once, I think it was a Japanese poster, where somebody's actually bothered to do a proper poster where the characters look like the characters, the spaceships look like the spaceships. Uh, and it's a really nice piece of artwork. I'll link to that one. I'll send, send it over here. Well, yeah, if you can send it to me, because something I found, you know, through researching this sequence um, is just the huge amount of posters that were out when it was out theatrically. Yeah. And then even more so, as you say, it's come out so many times on video. There are so many, you know, corresponding covers for each one. And I was going to put them all up on Facebook, so I'll do that. So if you can send me that, I can add it to that. Yeah, well, th- this is, um, maybe it was for a foreign uh, release on the um, the Blu-ray or whatever, but it's, it's really, really nicely done. Whoever's done the artwork's done a really cracking job. And everybody and everything looks like it should, uh, you know, which, which is really good. So I've, I've sent you that link. So Okay, cool, cool. My last little fact that I've got is that um, we mentioned him right at the beginning. Roger Corman, uh, yeah. he picked the film up uh, to distribute it in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did that to see if the market was viable for a low-budget space opera. Yeah. Um, and that influenced his decision to go ahead with Battle Beyond the Stars. So if it wasn't for Star Crash, you wouldn't have Battle Beyond the Stars, basically. Yeah. Um, the other thing um, is there's, for anybody listening, is there's the Star Crash 2, which isn't actually Star Crash mm. 2, which is on the DVD, which I bought, which is actually a film called Escape from Galaxy 3, which just essentially recycles the special effects. It's absolutely terrible. It's a, it's a really, really awful movie. It's just all over the place. But, you know, it, that, that was the main thing, is we can just call it Star Crash 2 um, because right. people recognise the name. Uh, but it's I, I, I have it's seen not... that, but I've never seen it, and it's certainly not on my uh, on my DVD. You've got oh. a much better DVD than mine. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just as a, a, a backup film, and I did start to watch it, but, you know, it, it's crummy as in it is genuinely crummy. The only thing is, there's one or two shots of the um, Thor ship on a planet's surface, which you think they're either brand new shots or they've actually recycled some shots which weren't used in the final cut. Uh, um, right, right. But but one thing I do like about Star Crash is it is one of those movies with just been 93, 94 minutes long. You know, sometimes on an, on an evening you think, I want to watch something. I don't want to watch anything too complicated. I'm not in the mood for, you know... Godfather Part 3 or Saving Private Ryan, um, I'll put Star Crash on because, you know, you can start watching it at 11 o'clock and it's going to be finished by half 12 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you don't have to think. 
Yeah, you don't have to think. <laughs> and it's and it's just entertaining. It's just entertaining for many times for the wrong reasons. Um, but it is it's just entertaining. I I I tried to get our eleven year old to watch it, and she was very very puzzled by it. You know. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, m- many many years back when um, I mean we're talking probably mid mid two thousands here. I was contacted by somebody who was actually writing a, a behind the scenes book. Uh, and had seen me post about this on my blog I used to run and um, said, would you like to write um, a little section about how you first knew about Star Crash? Uh, pretty much what I told at the beginning, I'd seen it you know, in the video shop and things like that, and what I liked about it and what I didn't like about it. And um, it was a book which was going to be interviewing all of the people like Paolo Zaccara and uh, Armando Valcauda, and I think it just turned out there was like a massive amount of rights issues in terms of their images and just getting everything together and it just never happened. Um, but I think some of the images which are on this, uh, on the Mark Gascoigne site, Golob, which is about the humanoid, um, mm. he has some Star Crash images on there and he does have some behind the scenes ones. Um, and I think there might be from him talking directly with Armando of Alcauda. And yes. I think he, he got to use some of the images that were going to be used in this book. But, you know, I do remember it was way before Kickstarter sort of was ever a thing. Uh, this is going back to the early 2000s. But he was trying to kind of self-publish this uh, making of book. But then the other book which came out was the one um, which was sort of a Further Adventures of Stella Star. She's got artwork um, uh, inside it and it's got various short stories and a little bit about the movie. And I can't remember the name of the illustrator who did the cover. He's a, he's a British illustrator. He does nice sort of painted. He does quite a lot of work paintings of Carolyn Munro and uh, Barbara mm-hmm. Back. Um, and it is like literally called The Further Adventures of Stella Star. And it's actually got brand new stories, almost like, you know, new, new short adventures. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Acton comes back in one of them and things like that. So uh, it's, it's, it's very weird, isn't it, that, you know, it... it, it you watch it and it's like watching a comic book i'm 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 very surprised that at least in italy there wasn't a spin-off comic book series you know much like mm. you know barbarella was based on a comic much like danger diabolique you yeah. know was based on a comic and then continued after the film you know i'm 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 surprised they never tried something like that yeah i mean when i when i post about star crash on instagram which i do quite a lot on my uh, page a lot of mixed people uh, the, the, the bulk of people really like it but then there's always the ones I just thought it was trash but then there's always the ones that guide me to Mystery Science Theatre 3000 which is a show I wouldn't really want to watch that them talk about it, I have my own opinions about what's funny in it yeah. and what, what's daft in it and what's good in it um, and I don't want to hear like other people sort of ripping the pee out of it if you, if you want to call it that you know um, I know what's wrong with the movie myself, and uh, I've sat plenty of time with friends, and we've talked through it and said, "Oh, you know that line of dialogue's terrible, or isn't that an awful shot?" I mean, yeah, no you've, one... you've critiqued it yourself yeah. countless times already, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the one thing which is an absolutely hilarious sequence is the bit at the end of the movie where the 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 good guys are fired towards the space claw in like sort of cylindrical sort of rockets, and then. The, the crashing through the windows and just climb out and there's no like loss of vacuum or anything they just fire through the windows of the spaceship you don't um, see princess leia flying past in the background do you when well, that happens no well you might do. 
<laughs> you might do now. <laughs> might do now. But yeah, it's just it's absolutely inept in terms of its science and its dialogue and its plotting, but it's thoroughly entertaining for it. Yep. Yeah. And, and and it really is that case of uh, you know the, there's bad movies, but then there's bad movies which are guilty pleasures, and it certainly is probably the this top is of certainly mine. one of them. Yeah. Uh, having said all that, and bearing that in mind, then what would you give it out of ten? What the, the the sequence we've talked about, or the whole yes, movie. yeah, yeah, not 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 the whole movie, just this sequence, because we're going to come back to Stella um, a few times, but uh, we're yeah. just talking about this opening one so far. So, what do you reckon? Uh, it, it's hard because I've said this before. It's like on a technical level, it could be one, and on an entertainment level, it's a, a different one. So, I'd probably sort of give it a seven out of ten for like just the entertainment value, right? Yeah. Um, Sorry, were you going to say something else? No, no. Um, see, I, 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 I'm exactly like you. I'm on the one hand, the model work and the photography is shockingly badly done. <laughs> but, but when you know how little money they had and yeah. the tight schedule, you know, it's a bit, bit of a miracle. It was actually made it to a cinema release. So, yeah. um, weighing both up. I'm, I'm going to stick it in the middle and, and have it as average. So I'm having mm -hmm. it as a five. Right. So okay. that gives it a six. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think that's about fair. Now, I, I'm interested to, to think if a, I had a different co-host on who mm. wasn't from an effects background, maybe your rating might not have been as high. Yeah. Mm. But, but, uh, Okay. All right. So what, the what first I was, dip in... what, what I was going to say earlier on, though, what the, the weird part is about that thing in the Starlog is when they say that all the models need to be made in two days, you kind of think, why? They can't shoot all the models in two days. Was it because they had, like, investors coming to see them and they needed to have them built to show the producers? Oh, the um, money men had come along or something. Yeah, you know, and we, and we need something to show where the money's been spent because they can't, you know, you, you no, no movie has all the models built within two days and then can shoot them all in two days, uh, you would assume. Um, so, yeah, it probably was a case of the producers were coming down. I think it was Nat and Patrick Waschberger or something they were called. Okay. Um, but whether they were having a visit to the studio and they said to them, look, we need something to show them where they're getting, the money's getting spent. But it did always puzzle me that. It's like, why everything had to be built in two days? Yeah, yeah. I, I know that they would, they, I think they had started actual production and the model work hadn't started. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I really yeah. don't know. Another several maybe that, I was going to say, maybe they only had the, uh, the youths, you know, the college kids for two days to make the models. I don't know. Possibly. I know there's several other photographs behind the scenes, including like Stella Star sort of stuck in the swamp. Yes, uh, that's one of the deleted scenes that apparently is on the American Blu-ray. Yeah, think, things like that. So there was, uh, you know, other, other sequences. Uh, I always thought it was really funny as well with Bob Tessier. There's one part when uh, he's fighting Acton and he's starting to sweat and you can see the green makeup coming off around his neck. <laughs> you know, he's literally sw sweating the makeup off. Oh, dear, oh, dear. 
it's too, too, too many things to talk about in it, you know. There are. I mean, that's why we've got to come back to this because, you know, <laughs> there, there are many effect sequences in this film and this is just the first one. It's going to be interesting to see how the others uh, measure up to this 6 out of 10 that this one's got. Yeah. So, uh, if, if, okay. If there's, if there's one final thing to say about it, um, from a special effects point of view, is there's, there's travelling mats, there's a rear projection, there's miniatures, there's stop motion, there's optical effects. There's nothing in it, really, that films like Star Wars didn't actually have. No. You know, it, it's not like they were just flying models on wires. They did try quite a lot of new yeah. sort of, I suppose, innovative stuff for them at the time. So, you know, you've got to give them, like, kudos for sort of trying to, to do something yeah. bit big. Uh, even if they quite succeed, but <laughs> that's a that that's a good way of finishing it. That yeah. is, Andrew. Thank you very much. That's an excellent way to finish it. All right. Well, thank you for my for, uh, sorry. Uh, th- thank you for uh, today and okay. uh, accompanying me um, along with Stellar Star to the haunted stars. To the haunted stars and back. Yes. All right. Yeah. Thank you then, Andrew. All right. See you later. All right. And uh, yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.